Welcome to the Cold Brew Podcast. It is September 3rd. I'm Dave Gasper, joined once again by Matt Carroll. And we are the guys at ReviewingTheBrew.com. And before we start this week, I'd like to thank all of our listeners uh, for tuning in to the Cold Brew Podcast over the last year. That's right, it's been a whole year since our first episode, uh, which was September 3rd, 2020. Matt, where does the time go, man? Does it feel like it's been a year for you? Absolutely not. It feels like we just started doing this. When we hit, I think it was 50 the other day, that was pretty mind-blowing. So the fact that we're at a year is just, wow. I mean, crazy how far the time has flown, but amazing uh, the people who've you know tuned in regularly to listen to us and we're so happy to have you guys and keep listening as we dive into year number two yeah and it's it's been amazing the the guests that we've had on as well uh including our very special guest this week uh garrett green the voice of the biloxi shuckers back on the cobra podcast for the second time um as we continue our tour through the minor leagues this season garrett how are you doing man I am good. We have uh, 15 games left in the season. I cannot mm-hmm. believe we're we're through 101. We've lost a couple, but uh, man, it is it is crazy. It feels like just the other day that we were kicking the season off in May in Birmingham, and you know we have this series against the uh, the Braves affiliate. Then we go to Pensacola, and then we're back home, and that's it. And it is just hard to wrap your brain around the fact that the season has come and gone in the minors. Yeah, and especially after. Uh, last season when you didn't really have any games uh, to go off of uh, it's it's going by even faster almost because I mean you had such a long time without and then now games are finally going and it just it's done so quickly yeah this and I've I have found now this is my fifth year working in minor league baseball it's my third year here with the Shuckers and I found the same thing to be true which is the the beginning of the season does feel a little long as you get into the rhythm of the groove of the things and then you hit the all-star break, and it just flies to the finish line. I know people always talk about the dog days of summer. I have never felt that. You hit the midway point of the season, and it just picks up speed as you move to the end is, is what it always feels like to me. Yeah. But to be fair, you aren't the one playing every single night, so maybe that, that could be why. <laughs> that is true, but I also don't get a day to sit on the bench if I'm in a slump, <laughs> I still have to go out there and call every inning every night. So <laughs> you got a point. You got a point. I know one of my favorite questions I've gotten to ask here as we've been doing our tour through the minor leagues, how has it felt to you having those fans back in the stands? Oh, it's been great. It has just been fantastic. We had um, July. Really one of the big moments that it hit me was we had July 4th. We were in Pensacola and we had a, a really close game. And um, unfortunately, they hit like a late home run to tie the game up. Um, but to just be able to, you know, in a big moment with, uh, you know, two strikes on a guy with an out in the inning and a runner on third to just be able to sit back and just feel and listen to the crowd again. Um, is it's it is what what makes sports the greatest theater that there is is having the spectators having the oohs and ahs and reactions to everything of the crowd is what really makes it all worthwhile. Yeah, and it's been uh, great to to have them back and great to have uh, minor league baseball just back in general. Um, and I mean, you guys down there in Biloxi. Uh, you did just kind of go through a 
massive hurricane coming through down there on the, on the Gulf Coast. Uh, so how is how is the stadium? How is everyone everyone okay down there in Biloxi? Nothing too bad. Yeah, no, we're very fortunate that um, the it went far enough west of us. We were, you know, they say the eastern side of the storm is the is the dirty side, and so for about two full days it rained. Um, we had winds of, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour pretty consistently. So some down branches, but um, with Zeta hitting us directly in October as a Category Two. Um, you know, there weren't as many down trees and things like that because all that stuff kind of got knocked down from the last storm. Um, but the stadium came out just fine. We are exceptionally fortunate here. And obviously, um, you know, we're, our thoughts are certainly with everybody over west of us um, in New Orleans and even further west of that that took the brunt of the storm. This area knows all too well what it's like to take a direct hit from a big hurricane. And so, um, certainly keeping those people in our thoughts, but we're very fortunate that, you know, we, we only lost a couple of games because of the hurricane and, and nothing more than that. Yeah, for sure. Very, very fortunate to avoid the the issues that are now going to be plaguing the, the Somerset Patriots and a couple other teams, especially over in the, in the Northeast after uh, seeing their stadium just get completely uh, flooded. Um, but when you look at uh, the team as a whole, okay, so so turning to the the Biloxi Shuckers on the field, um, looking at the standings, it doesn't look like it's it's been the greatest season down there in Biloxi. Uh, what are your kind of just kind of overarching view of of how the season's been going down there? Uh, it has been a very different year. Uh, this is not the kind of season that this franchise is used to. Um, you know, it's going to be our first losing season that we've had in our six years that we've been down here. Um, and, you know, there are a whole host of reasons that you can point to for it. Um, I think that a lot of guys had some pretty aggressive assignments to be here this season, um, and it's a steep learning curve. I think some of the teams in this league were uh, – you know, early on, they had a lot of guys who had been at this level before and they had some veterans. And that was something that, you know, we just didn't have. Um, and so as a result, we took some lumps from that. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, we've had some standout guys, but our pitching staff is, you know, you look at the numbers. It just hasn't been what, you know, we're used to seeing here. Now, what we're used to seeing is three guys who are Cy Young candidates and the last three National League relievers of the year. So that's a <laughs> pretty high standard to live up to. But, you know, we had a we had a over five ERA in the first month of the year. We had a, an ERA just under five the, the second month in, in June, which was a, a tough go as well. Um, and I think that part of it this year, too, is that we've seen that you know, with Milwaukee being in the position that they're in to win the NL Central and really make a legitimate push at a World Series this year. I know the 2018 team made it to the, the National League Championship Series and pushed the Dodgers all the way to Game 7. But you know, now you have guys on this squad who have that experience and have been to that stage before. So this really does feel like the best year for the Brewers um, in this window that they've had to make a run at a World Series. So as a result, that is where the focus is. And the focus is making sure that then the AAA club is reinforced and that everything goes to the Major League Club. Um, so you take a look at the fact that I think this year guys were pushed more aggressively to the upper minors as well than we would have seen in the past. Um, 
You know, in other years, I don't think Ethan Small only makes eight appearances for us before he goes up. Now, granted, by the time that he went up, it was very apparent he did not need to be here anymore. And this is not unique to the Shuckers either. This is something that's happened all across the minor leagues, especially at this level this year. If guys demonstrate that they can dominate at this level, they've been pushed up because teams want to go for it this year. Um, but, you know, Peyton Henry was very good for us. We only had him for 30 games this year um, before he was promoted up to AAA. Um, you take a look at Jake Cousins, who was, you know, our closer right out of the gate, three for three in save opportunities, made eight appearances. Bam, he's up to AAA and then, you know, on up to the majors. And that left a void for us at the back end of the bullpen, which, you know, I, I, you know we're still searching, I think, that. Taylor Floyd, who we've just gotten from high A Wisconsin a couple of weeks ago, is probably the answer. Matt Hardy filled in as kind of an answer for that as well. But, you know, he's on the injured list now. So that's just been a, you know, when you don't have the answer for the for the ninth inning, that that can lead to a, a lot of problems. And we saw that in June here where we went you know, over five and save opportunities and, you know, had a lot of late, late losses. And so that's, you know, it, it just hasn't been the season that you're used to here. But I think a big piece of it has been. Um, a combination of the league, the quality of the Brewers, and just the aggressive moves that the the Brewers have made throughout the organization this season. Yeah, but all that said, there have been some moments this season, including a combined no-hitter that you got to call after being so close uh, back in 2019. So uh, tell us what that was like to be able to um, see that come to completion. Uh. That night is just it does seem like an eternity ago and yesterday at the same time. And um, no, I I mean, again, I've been very fortunate that here in Biloxi, I've had a no hitter go to the last inning four times before that one. In my first two years, we obviously had Zach Brown in 2018. Uh, we had a combined no hitter in 2019. We'd given up a run. So like. Yeah, <laughs> you know how much does it really count if you don't give up a hit but you allow a run? Um, and then obviously Trey Shupak uh, went to two outs in a nine-inning game and a seven-inning game in the same year. And so, um, you know, I I felt a little bad because I I do I get cognizant of when there are no hits on the board after about the fifth inning. That's when yeah. I that's you know fourth inning you're like that's a little too early. But after five, that's when you really start to to think about it. Um, so Ethan Small, you know, he walked five guys, but, you know, he walks off the mound. There are no hits on the board. Zach Venero comes out in the sixth. Okay. He walks a guy, no hits on the board. Nathan Kirby made it very easy in the uh, seventh and eighth inning. He went, he went six up, six down. And so going to the ninth inning, I felt bad thinking this way. But in the back of my head, I'm like, all right. You know, how's it going to happen this time? Like, what's what's it going to be? Is it going to be the first guy is going to do it? Is it going to be, you know, are we going to get to two outs again? Uh, and the other piece of it is that it was a one nothing game. Mm. So it wasn't just that it's a no hitter. It's you need to do this in order to preserve this thing. And Matt Hardy came on. He, he walked a couple of guys. So the tying run actually ends up in scoring position. And I think you might hear it in my call, just the surprise because it's a called third strike for the last out. Uh, and it was, you know, I, I just remember thinking, feeling relieved and stunned 
at the same time uh, <laughs> that we, we we'd finally done this thing and um you know for the crew that we had to do it and especially you know it was our first it was our first Saturday at home. It was Ethan Small's first start back in the state of Mississippi. I think it's one of our bigger crowds that we had of the year. I got so lucky. My my parents were actually in town for the whole opening series. Um, they had been here for Zach's complete game where he took a no-hitter to two outs in the ninth mm. inning. So they've been here for one of those close games before. And then the last minute, my wife decided to come to the game as well. So I had, <laughs> and it's not me throwing the game, but you know, I had my whole family here that night. We had a we had a big crowd on hand, and um, it was just, you know, it's it's something that I'm glad that we've got film of, but uh, is all very vivid in my mind. And it was uh, a, a really special night. Um, that unfortunately, then we kind of fell victim to the curse of the no hitter uh, that seems to plague. <laughs> teams in baseball in 2021 uh, and went on a, a little skit after that. Cause I think we were at 11 and 13 after that. And then uh, the bottom kind of dropped out, but that, that night in particular was certainly uh, one to remember for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember last year when we had you on, we asked you about like the close no hitters and you were lamenting the fact it's like, ah, I haven't quite been able to, to call one. And then of course this year, Pretty early on in the year, you get one to call, and it's just like, hey, maybe this is the the blessing of the Cold Brew Podcast or something. Hey, there you guys go. I also have to detour really quick. So my broadcast partner in 2019 um, is now the voice of the Fayetteville Woodpeckers. Oh. And so that Friday night, his team threw a combined no-hitter, and it was like his fifth game that he did with them because he missed their opening series because he got hired late. And I remember texting him like, "You got to be kidding me, man! Like, you go there, you're there for less than six games, and you already have a you already have a no hitter." And so he texts me back the next night, and he's just like, "No way, man! I can't believe this happened." So, huh. um, but but that was when it seemed like you know you get a no hitter, you get, everybody got a no everybody. <laughs> yeah. Now we got to crack down on sticky stuff. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, all that's that just stuff. all that MLB stuff, and yeah, I don't know, but. Um, it's been, uh, you know, you, you guys have had, even though like the, the overall team success hasn't necessarily been there, you've had a lot of the big name prospects that, that have come through. Um, and I suppose since we've been talking about pitching here, we might as well start with the pitching, uh, Ethan small started the season with you guys, obviously Mississippi state guy and, uh, I feel like the crowd in Biloxi is a, maybe a big fan of uh, Mississippi State guys uh, coming through. Um, so what was it like having Ethan Small down there? Obviously, when you look at the numbers, he was successful. Um, but what was it like having him on the team, uh, seeing him pitch? And, you know, did that have, you know, kind of an impact? Like, what, was there higher attendance on the days that Ethan Small was starting? Yes. 100% yes. <laughs> uh we knew that when he got here that the questions were going to be what night, you know, we generally, when you have a really good pitcher, it's what night is this guy pitching? We had that with Trey. Mm-hmm. We had it with Zach, you know, I'm sure they had it with Woody and Corbin and Freddie and, you know, a whole litany of names. Dylan file was a good one in 19 as mm-hmm. well. People would want to come out and see him pitch. Uh, but no, it, we got calls to the front office repeatedly wondering when Ethan small was pitching. And I always made sure to, put it out in press releases, projections, things like that. Um, you know, he ran a gambit where after he uh, 
at the start of the season here, he did three straight days where he did an interview with a TV station one day, another TV station the next day, a newspaper the third day. And all I can say is that, you know, Ethan is just an exceptionally down-to-earth guy. This is not a shot at anybody else. He is probably the best player from a media relations perspective that I have dealt with my entire time that I've worked in this field. Um, he was always exceptionally receptive to to interviews, to helping out, to answering questions. Um, he was great with fans. Um, so just as a person, you know, he's a high co- high quality guy, and he was exceptionally easy to work with. I'm sure that the the folks in the media relations department for the Brewers will be really excited about that. Uh, and they know it as well because they've worked with him in spring training. But from a stuff perspective, uh, it's it's there. I know that everyone looks at fastball velocity, and that's the big thing that people care about. But when you take a look at the fact that he can command the ball in all quadrants of the zone, his changeup, guys knew it was coming. They knew it was coming. They knew he was going to throw it, and it just didn't matter. It got to the point to where – at the end of his time here, you knew a two-strike pitch. Here comes a changeup, and it it just it didn't matter. It's that it's got like Devin so Williams. Much, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and it's not quite the same pitches that that airbender that Devin throws, right. but it's got the velocity of a curveball. I got called it a curveball for the first couple of starts, and mm-hmm. our pitching coach was like, "Hey, Ethan only threw like two curveballs. That's his changeup that he's throwing. Huh. It is just it's this big looping pitch." And the big key for him is that his arm action is the exact same with his fastball that it is with a changeup. Mm-hmm. So coming out of the hand, it can either be a 91-mile-an-hour fastball or a 77-mile-an-hour changeup that's going to drop off the table. And he can throw it for strikes. Um, he makes it on his slider some, but really here at double, really here at double A, he was a two-pitch pitcher. Um, and he dominated with that. So that'll be my, my thing that I'd look to see is how his slider and his curveball come along. Um, you know, as he gets back into the rhythm and, and pitches after the finger injury. But uh, I've learned that when a guy dominates at this level, that means something. And um, Ethan dominated while he was here. And that's why he got pushed up after only eight appearances. I know one of the things I liked about him kind of coming out of college was uh, he was one of those guys who he would get fired up on the mounds. You know, he 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 showed a lot of that emotion. Um, does he still do you still get a sense of that kind of when oh, yeah. once he's in game mode on the mound for the Shuckers? Yeah, he he's a bulldog. And that's not just Mississippi State. Like he's just a, he's a, <laughs> he, he is a literal bulldog through and through literal bulldog. No, he is one of those guys who would crawl over glass to make sure that that guy doesn't score if he gets on base um, and just it is it is such a departure from how he is off the mound. Just nice, easy guy from, you know, right outside of the Jackson, Tennessee area. But no, on the mound, the competitiveness is second to none. Um, and and you saw that when he pitched for us. And I'm sure you've seen it at Nashville um, as well. But there is just a I'm not going to let you score. This is my mound. It's my plate. You're just allowed to stand in the batter's box while I'm out here. Um, uh, and, and that, that really permeates from him when he's on the mound. I, I love that mentality, man, out there. And I feel like it's the same mentality that, uh, fellow Bulldog, Brandon Woodruff, uh, and Corbin Burns, uh, and other guys on the Brewers pitching staff have, it's like, this is my mound. I'm not letting you score. I'm not letting you do 
any of this and I'm just going to completely destroy you. Yeah. Um, so absolutely uh, love to see it. I remember uh, when we were looking at, you know, his results and like, okay, Ethan Small made another start last night. How did he do? Oh, he went six shutout innings with a whole bunch of strike. Okay. And we're all just like, hey, maybe we should promote this guy up. And you're jumping in like, no, wait, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Please don't take him away from me. But I, I and again, I I was a little surprised when they pushed him up because I thought that they would have, you know, maybe kept him here until at least the All Star break. But you know, this this year with uh, the way that organizations have run, that's not the way it works anymore. If if guys show they're capable. They're going to push him up and give him an opportunity to prove it at AAA as well. So, yes, I was heavy on the don't take Ethan Small from me campaign. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, and, and Zach Brown is back with us and, and he's he's coming back, obviously. And Zach said it best when I was talking to him in 2018. No one wants to be a really good double A player. You want to be mm-hmm. a big leaguer. And so while I'm always sad when guys are doing well and they get bumped up. You don't want him to stay here. You want him. You want him to go on up. That's that's the progression. And so um, it's tough to let. It's tougher to let some of them go over than others. But uh, I'm I'm thrilled that he's back on the mound and pitching for Nashville a little bit. Yeah, and especially when uh, that guy single-handedly doubles your attendance. You know, on any given <laughs> night. It's also, I mean, it's yeah. a, it's a, a guy the general manager of the Shuckers also likes to have around, you know? It's a win, though. That's the biggest yeah. thing, is that you have those guys that, you know, you have those guys that he can be a stopper if things aren't going well for you. And you say, when this guy's on the mound, that's probably a W tonight. You know, we his last start that he made for us, we scored nine runs. Completely unnecessary. <laughs> Great. But you really only need one or two those nights. And and as soon as you get two or three runs, you just say, all right, cool. You got to make it to the seventh inning. Hope the bullpen takes care of the last two. And we're good tonight. Um, and, and that's just invaluable to have those guys who, when they take the mound, you say, yeah, no, we're winning tonight. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to win tonight. Man, that, that sounds a lot like how we feel when Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Freddie Peralta take the mound yeah. in Milwaukee. I don't care who's on the other side. Like, we're winning tonight. And that yeah. uh, that is a fantastic feeling that, you know, we as broadcasters have a pretty good sense of it. But I also know that it, it's down in the clubhouse as well. And you say when this dude's on the mound, we have, like, we are probably going to win tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely love to see it. Um, and yeah, you know, now Small's back uh, going again. He had that uh, finger strain or some up in uh, Nashville. It may not have happened if he was in Biloxi, uh, just saying, but <laughs> never know. We'll never, never know. know. Um, yeah, I mean, the Brewers, you know, saw him as a potential big league pitcher for them this year. So that that move uh, had to happen at some point, uh, we're thinking. But uh, on to another guy that, that you uh, just previously mentioned, Zach Brown. Formerly one of the Brewers' top pitching prospects. Um, he missed most of the early part of the year with, I believe, a shoulder uh, injury. Now he's back, and it looks like instead of being a starter, he's in the bullpen. Is that correct? Is that where they're moving him to? Yep. So he's been pitching out of the bullpen. Some of it's been short relief. Some of it's been uh, two inning stints. I don't think he's gone three yet, uh, but it's mostly just to get him into the game. They still pretty much have him pitching on an every five-day rotation. I think he's gone less than five once 
so far. So it's still, you know, just building him up, getting him innings and giving him an opportunity to just get back on the mound and get back into a groove of things right now. And how has he looked so far? I mean, this is a guy who, you know, the Brewers had a chance to um, keep as a Rule 5 protection, didn't do so. Um, He's kind of fallen off of the top 30 lists that he had been sitting on for quite a while. So I I feel like maybe some Brewers fans have maybe forgotten a little bit. Um, But, you know, looking at the numbers, he's close to bringing that ERA back down into the threes. So um, what does he look like? He's looked good. Um, I mean, he had one outing where, uh, you know, we were playing in Pearl and I think he gave up two or three home runs uh, in an inning. And so that'll push the ERA up a little bit. Uh, but otherwise, you know, he's he's starting to look a little bit more and more like himself. Fastball velocity is consistent. He's sitting pretty much 94 um, mm-hmm. which is which is encouraging. I know our radar gun here in Biloxi was soft previously, so that that's a little bit it was it was. Um, now we have you know we're fortunate we have trackman data here. So when mm-hmm. we say on the broadcast that's a 97 mile an hour fastball, we're not exaggerating. That's that is what it is. Uh, but he's been sitting 94. Um, curveball looks good. He's mixed in a changeup a little bit as well. Um, and it's just been short stints. You know he went three up three down last night with a couple of strikeouts. And he's that same kind of guy as Ethan. Like, he just – I know that the numbers haven't been there for him, but he is just an ultra competitor. And he's had an instance this year, guy got on third, less than two outs, and he just bears down and does not let them score. And I think that it's such a shame because I know from speaking with him personally that he was ready for 2020. He had made some adjustments from a very tough 2019 season – um, you know, he'd spent time in the mythological pitching lab that the Brewers had and had really sorted some things out. I think if you look at the numbers from when he went back to San Antonio at the end of 2019, those bear out as well that things were trending in the right direction. And he certainly felt like 2021 was going to be a good year. And then, you know, you get the first part of your season lopped off by an injury that you're coming back from. So the bullpen is an opportunity for him to just still keep on a schedule, but not be um, stressed to throw, you know, four or five innings or, you know, having to piggyback guys together um, and get a chance to still throw at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of been a, a long road for, for him um, being left off there, uh, off the 40-man roster and, um, yeah, dealing with the injuries. Uh, really kind of hate to see it, but, you know, hopefully he can – kind of get himself back up to that. Uh, another guy that I was really kind of excited about heading into this year, who's, I mean, been he's been solid um, when you just kind of look at the ERA numbers. Noah Zavolis. Um, he's a guy, I mean, when we talked to you last year, we heard it's like, oh, maybe he's up to maybe like five or six pitches now in his arsenal. Um, Zavolis is the only guy on the pitching staff who has 100-plus innings on the season. Um, I believe he just hit uh, 100 recently. Um, but he's been in starting rotation the whole year. What have you seen from from Zavolis this season? So early on in the year, Noah's problem, self-admittedly, was that he threw too many strikes. He put the ball in the zone way too much. Um, and at this level, guys don't miss when you put the ball in the zone. Um, so one thing that he really worked on was establishing an inside fastball understanding to throw pitches outside of the zone. Sometimes you have to, you know, throw a deliberate ball, um, throw guys something that they can't hit. 
Um, but no, he's he's certainly he mixes pitches as well as anybody there is. There's not one count that he's going to throw you one thing or another in particular. Um, you know, I think the the question is, will his stuff play as he continues to progress through from level to level? Um, I don't think there's anyone who's going to work harder to make sure that it does um, because he's constantly I, I describe him. He's a tinkerer like he's he's always got to be doing something days that he starts. You know, most guys are in the clubhouse or whatever. Noah's out walking around the field day of his start. He's got his mixer bottle in hand. He's just restless. Um, and he's trying to you know, it seems like he's trying to find a way to quiet his mind. Um, but he certainly um he certainly has all of the tools that are there. The question is just if anything is going to be elite enough to move him up. But from an innings perspective, um, a consistency perspective, you know, he's a guy who, like you said, he's he started every single game that he's needed to this year uh, for the Shuckers. He's gone out and with very few exceptions, he's given you five. With uh, not too many exceptions, he's gone six. And on more than one occasion, he's gone seven and even pushed himself into the eighth inning a little bit. Um, and so, you know, I think that, I think that it, it, it I think he's probably going to come back to this level to start 2022 would be my best guess. Um, though certainly we've seen guys with similar ERAs innings results. The first name that comes to mind for me is Thomas Jenkins. Um, and you know, 2019, I, I thought they might push him up to triple A to start the year. They didn't, they brought him back to double A. And he made three outings. He looked amazing. And they said, yep, you're on to AAA. So that might be the the plan for Zavalis for uh, for 2022. Uh, but, you know, for a guy that they that they got in a trade for Domingo Santana, and I know he's the Carolina League Pitcher of the Year, um, I think it just took him a little while to adjust to this league. But certainly he, is, he has shown the ability – especially when you consider on multiple occasions this year, he's been the Tuesday, Sunday starter. And Mm. that's tough. That's really tough to turn around and face a team for a second time in six days. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when it's generally the same lineup. Um, And so he's found ways to, even though we're seeing the Mississippi Braves for the 27th time, I think it's actually, (laughs) I think, I think it's actually 26th tonight. Mm. Um, And, you know, he's, He's seen him four or five times, though he's he's slated to pitch later in the series. Um, you know, he's found ways to adjust and make adjustments. And so um, I I would I would expect that he'll be back here to start the year, but uh, next year, but certainly could have that potential to, to push up from there. But the question is going to be if his stuff can play at the next level. Just kind of a little side note here, um, as, as you kind of mentioned the the scheduling here and playing Mississippi Braves for the 26th time. What do you think of the of the realignment there of the minor leagues and and realigning how they do the schedules? Um, did, are you a fan of it? Do you think it's worked out well so far? So six games is one game too many. We did we did five game series in this league, and so the going to a six game is not a massive adjustment. That I know for a lot of teams they've done three or four game series, so going to six is is a big adjustment. I'm a big fan of it, though. Um, it's tough because by the time you get to Sunday, it's like, oh, God, you guys again, really? <laughs> you know, most teams are throwing out their, their massive getaway lineup, um, and you're generally seeing a starter for a second time, which, again, um, even 
Fangraphs did something on it earlier this year because you had those instances like what the Mets just did where, you know, they played the Padres on the West Coast and then they played another series and then they played the Padres again in New York. And so the same guys who pitched in San Diego are then pitching against that same team. And it's only five or six days later. And they found that, you know, for the numbers, when you look at them, when a pitcher goes up against a team for a second time, in less than 10 days, their ERA bumps up by about a half a run. And, you know, that from a numbers perspective, that might not specifically mean anything. But if you think of what an extra half run to an ERA is over five innings for a starter in the minor leagues, that that can be a big difference for a guy. Um, so that's the biggest I think that's the toughest thing about it. Having every Monday off, though, is fantastic. I don't think people understand mm-hmm how difficult a minor league season is and how not infuriating, but how left behind we felt when the major leagues expanded their season a little bit, made it a little bit longer to push into March because they said, Oh, well we need to make sure we give guys off days. Mm. And we're down here in the minor league saying, yeah, that's (laughs) really cool. We would like that as well because you would Mm. go. I, I just think to July, it happened in 18 and 19. We had one day off in the month oh. of July. One day mm-hmm. off. You go 20 straight, day off, 15 straight. And sometimes that one day off was you're coming back from, you know, Jacksonville, which is an eight-hour bus ride. And you get in and and then, you know, okay, we rolled into town after a, you know, a Sunday afternoon game. But we didn't get in until 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. And then you have your off day, but then you're getting geared right back up to dive into 15 straight games. So I love the Monday off day and the the schedule that it sets up for it. I wish we had two more teams in this league. Um, we only played six opponents in this, in this wow. schedule this year. We, yeah. we, uh, we had one team that all of us didn't play. Um, and so I'm very sick of seeing the Montgomery Biscuits, Pensacola Blue Wahoos, <laughs> and Mississippi Braves. Um, as a matter of fact, in the second half of the schedule, it took us to our last series against Rocket City. It was the first time that we saw someone who wasn't one of those three teams mm. in the second oh, half. So in a smaller league like the former Southern League, now the AA South, it's a little trickier. I think in the 14-16 team leagues, six games is great because you can distribute it amongst everybody. Uh, but even here, we'll play a regular schedule next year, and and I'll, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. And they're also doing it to where they're breaking it up to where you do a little three-game series. Everybody gets either July 3rd or July 4th. Um, so they made the the little tweaks to it. There's an all-star break. Um, so next next year's schedule, I think, is going to be the the nice middle ground for it. Yeah, for sure. Got got to learn from where you're at and tinker with that. I remember when I was in the in the Northwoods League, I think we had like two days off for the entire season. Yeah. Like one in June, one in July, and it's just like we had we had one day. It's like we're driving back to Lacrosse from Bismarck, North Dakota. Like it was like a later game. Like we got back into town at 4 a.m. and we had to play a game later that night. And it's like, dude, like oh yeah, come on. Oh, we did that in in Helena in the Pioneer League. We had a game in Missoula that was their July 3rd game, so they shot off fireworks that night. So we didn't leave Missoula until 11:30. We rolled into Billings at 5:30 in the morning. It's it's Montana summer, so the sun's already up. 
And we played a four o'clock <laughs> first pitch that night, like that afternoon. Oh. Uh, so anything that they can do to avoid those kinds of things, it helps everybody involved. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, another pitcher I want to get to here, uh, Leo Crawford, the return in the Corey Knable trade. Uh, he's He's been starting some. He's been relieving some. Um, what, what have you seen from from Leo Crawford this year? I know he's got kind of a, a funky delivery, uh, kind of a funky lefty kind of guy. Yeah, he's uh, – Nick Childs, who's our pitching coach, said it best to me. Leo is a feel pitcher. Um, he's got to go to good feel for the strike zone, and when he does, man, it looks good. Um Obviously, if the, the biggest thing that I point to is, is his starting numbers and his relieving numbers. And really, you can draw a line straight down the first and second half of the year. Mm-hmm. Second half of the season, he's made, off the top of my head, I think it's 12 or 13 appearances. Most of them have been relieving. Some of them have been spot starts where he's gone two, three innings to just kick off a game. But he's got like a 1.64 or like a 1.75 ERA in the second half of the season. And so, uh, you know, the the long-term viability for him might be in a bullpen role. Um, but he's a fastball curb or a fastball slider changeup. Um, and he is one of those guys who he he pitches you all different ways. He can quick pitch. Um, he'll hesitate a little bit at the top of his delivery. Um, you know, he'll he'll twist a little bit for some of his stuff. Um, and he comes at you from, you know, kind of a, a mid, mid left-hander slot. Um, but yeah, he's one of those guys who it's a, it's all about feel for him and how things are going. But, um, I think that there are plenty of guys for our staff that really, if you take a look at their stats from July 12th on, they look much better than just what you see for their overall stats. Cause some of them got roughed up a little bit early on in the season. Yeah, one other guy who I feel like we put off for too long here who was roughed up and then went through a really good stretch there in the middle, Lucas Ersig, the uh, the two-way player that the Brewers decided to uh, kind of experiment with a little bit there. Um, he had a really good stretch there um, in June, July before kind of a little another couple bumps uh, at the end of July and early August. Um, what has he looked like as a pitcher now? He has looked phenomenal he actually came out of the month of august with a 208 era in five outings um oh, wow. last two times that we saw him on the mound 10 innings of work uh no earned runs he's given up two unearned hmm. runs he's walked like three struck out seven so he's not piling up strikeouts but you know he's gone five innings each of his last two outings and certainly the the future for lucas is not as a starter um mm-hmm. i don't think that you know, but anyone out there is going to qualify that he's he'll he'll end up being a bullpen arm. Um, he throws 98 and that's without an offseason to get ready. Um, and so, you know, he's he's the hardest thrower on our staff, likely. Um, and he's he's in a spot where during his starts, he normally sits 94 to 96. Um, and then he'll ratchet it up to 97 when he really needs it. But um you know, we, we had not, I had an opportunity to talk to Nick Childs extensively about uh, Lucas, and he said the biggest thing for him is that he's gotten in the routine for what every fifth day is like, what you have to do in between starts, um, and also thinking through a lineup, going through a lineup a second time, and how to adjust to guys. Um, first couple of times that we saw him on the mound, it was just fastball, fastball, fastball. Then it was 
mixing in a changeup. Then it was mixing in a slider that he's got. I think he's throwing like a cutter that he has at this point as well. Um, And so it's been learning how to throw off-speed pitches, throwing them for strikes, because I vividly remember an outing that he made where, you know, he was, oh, it's like, okay, here's his breaking stuff, but none of the batters were swinging at it. They just, they said, show me you can throw it for a strike. And then he did. And uh, now he's certainly made the adjustments. But I have been, that has, for all of the, rough patches of the season and how difficult this year has been the real thing that I'm one of the big things I'm going to take away from this season is watching Lucas develop into a pitcher. Um, and you know, he stopped playing the field in early July. He's been nothing but a pitcher ever since. And since he's just focused on pitching, he's really taken off and the door is certainly not closed for him to be a two way player and still hit. I think he's still a very good bat. It's also nice that he's a third baseman on the mound. So, you know, fielding wise, you got the middle taken care of. You don't have to worry <laughs> about that. Yeah. So, um, no, it's just nice that he's um, he can field his position just fine. But certainly the way that he has learned to pitch and work through, I think that, you know, as a starter, that's not going to be his route. But as a bullpen arm, especially with an offseason to get ready for it, Look out. I think that it's going to be another flamethrower in the Brewers bullpen that they're going to have to go to. And I think that's probably going to be his path to the big leagues. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they said he was a two way and you said he hasn't played the field at all since uh, early July. Um, have they have they just completely given up on, on the two way things? I mean, it seemed like I mean, certainly like offensively, it didn't look like, you know, his numbers earlier in the year were um, doing uh, too much better. Um, so is it just kind of mostly going to be strictly pitching going forward? I don't think the door is completely closed on him still hitting. Um, but I, I do believe that they made the decision part of the way through the year to say, Hey, let's just go ahead and focus on pitching. And I know you want to do both things, but let's go ahead and just see what happens if we just focus on you pitching. Um, and apparently he took it and ran with it and um, has really gone head first in. So I don't think the door is completely closed, but I think more than likely his days of hitting are probably only going to be in a, it's the 14th inning. We, uh, <laughs> we need someone to, you know, okay, Ursig just pitched. Now we can, you know, move him to third. We know he can play there. He can play first and hit for himself if he needs that kind of situation. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, especially with, with how well he's been pitching, it's like, why mess with a good thing? Um, but, but this kind of, you know, serves as a nice transition from our pitching to the hitting prospects uh, down there in Biloxi. And you've had a couple of the big ones come through and we'll start with Bryce Terang, who started the season with you guys um, earning a promotion Another guy getting promoted away uh, from you guys midseason. Uh, what did you see from from Terang this year? This was your first look at him. Uh, one of the Brewers' top hitting prospects, you know, first round pick out of high school a couple years ago. Uh, what were your thoughts on on him as a player? So Bryce obviously has a great eye at the plate, um, and he started rough in quotation marks. I think he had like a first 10 games of the year that, you know, he got on base. He, he drove in runs with a few hits that he had, 
But then he really got into a groove. And um, it's just very apparent. He's got very good bat-to-ball skills. He's got a very good eye. The power started to show itself a little bit more. I think if you look at his doubles numbers, there were also a lot of hard-hit outs that he had as well. Um, And it's funny because I talked to scouts around here, and they're like, you know, early on in the season, they said, you're like, yeah, I don't know. Like, is he a shortstop? Is he a center fielder? What's he going to be? You know, I'm still looking to see if he's got enough pop. And then he had a couple of series where I had scouts coming up to me saying, okay, yeah, no, this is <laughs> this kid's the real deal. And the other big number to take a look at for Bryce and, um, you know, for, for pitchers, and we talked about the, the bulldog mentality and things like that, um, there's some stats that you can look at that tell you that, you know, it's batting average against with, you know, runners in scoring position or whatever. But even that can be bad luck and, you know, well hit balls and whatever. Um, but with hitters, you look at what their stats are with men in scoring position. Bryce hit over 400 for most of the season with men in scoring position. He was up around 450 at one point with men in scoring position. When it mattered most, he found a way to get it done. Um, and that was one of the big things I took away. He's freakishly athletic at short, um, very naturally gifted. Sometimes it got in the way a little bit. Um, but I also think that with him, the biggest thing to remember is that he's 21 years old. Mm -hmm. If he would have gone to college, this would have been the year he would have been drafted out of LSU. And so that, that, you know, there are people who looks a little shaky in the field. Well, yeah, he's 21, man. <laughs> like he's just—he's still growing into his body at this point. Um, he was—he he and Peyton Henry have been the two most impressive offensive guys that we've seen this year. Um, and I was just—I was very impressed every day with how he came to the park and he played. Um, I think some people, you know, if you—if you look from afar, you might think that he's aloof. Uh, not the case at all. He mm-hmm. is just very dedicated. Uh, to what he's doing. And uh, I had, I was fortunate that, you know, in the time, the small time frame that we had where, you know, we kind of had some COVID restrictions lifted. I had an opportunity to have a couple of conversations with him and um, you forget he's 21 because he is mature and um, very well-spoken and knows, knows what he's doing and he's got a plan. Um, and so I, I was impressed with him. I was not, he was one that I was not surprised that he got promoted to, I kind of thought that we would get past the trade deadline. And then at that point, especially since AAA didn't specifically have a shortstop, um, that he was probably going to go up after that. Um, but no, Bryce Bryce checked every box that you needed at this level, certainly. Um, and so I think that I think people should be as excited as they are about him. And I think that if there's something you have questions about patience is the, the key thing for him because he still is only 21 years old and everybody isn't Juan Soto and busts into the big leagues at 19. Um, so they, but the, I think the Brewers have a very good one there in Bryce. Do you still feel like shortstop is ultimately the most natural position for him to eventually develop into? I think so. Um, I certainly think that he's got all the range for it. He's got the athleticism. He's got the arm strength. Um, You know, in our we talked about the combined no hitter, the defensive play in the no hitter that we had, because, you know, there's always that one. Mm -hmm. There's a ball that Wendell Riho hit deep to short and he had one foot on the outfield grass. It wasn't even close. Like he made he made the throw and it was not even close. 
Um, he's just got that kind of arm strength and that kind of ability. Um, but with an athlete like that, and as the Brewers have shown, you know, he could, you know, play second, he could play third. Um, they can mm-hmm. move him around. I think that, you know, another former Shucker shortstop Mauricio Dubon might be another example. You know, he's playing center field for the Giants, as we saw in the finale for the Brewers the other day. Athletes like that, they can play anywhere that you need them to. But I certainly think that now he's not going to replace Willie Adamas right now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, <laughs> if they need to find a spot for him, they can move him around. But I, I certainly think he projects out as a shortstop. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, the, that's really kind of the only thing kind of blocking them. Like right now, it's like, okay, now you're in AAA. And like, you know, if you can prove yourself there, it's like, great. It's like, we'd love to have you as a shortstop, but Willie Adamas is kind of here and he's kind of super awesome. So, <laughs> so <laughs> then a, what do we do? It's a fantastic problem to have. And it's the yeah. dream of every organization is to yeah. say, okay, we've got this guy we think is there. We just don't have space for him. And f- for the longest time for the Brewers, that was the outfield. And that, mm-hmm. that was, you're like, okay, we've got Tyrone Taylor, Corey Ray, Troy Stokes Jr., Trent Grisham. We have all these guys, but we've got Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich, Lorenzo Kane. There's no space. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And shortstop, shortstop hasn't had that kind of problem in uh, quite a while. So, um, yeah, certainly good to see. And the outfield thing. And that's still probably going to be a problem in the next few years, as we've kind of seen this year. Um, as we looked, you know, the past few weeks through low A and high A at guys like Joe Gray Jr., Joey Weimer, uh, Corey Howell, um, Garrett Mitchell. And uh, I want to talk about Garrett Mitchell now, the number one uh, Brewers prospect who is now up in Biloxi. And, you know, we've, we all kind of felt bad after taking Ethan Small away from you. So as a consolation prize, here's Garrett Mitchell. Um, I, I hope you're OK with that. But, um, so Garrett Mitchell uh, obviously dominated in high A with Wisconsin in a short amount of time. Now he's moved up to double A. And it hasn't quite had the same amount of success. What have you seen uh, from Garrett Mitchell in Shucker's uniform? It's just been inconsistent. He's had inconsistent playing time. So he's not, you know, he's not in the lineup every day. And I, why I, have, is no, that? I have no explanation for why that is. Um, hmm. I haven't been told anything, but I know, you know, early August, there was a stretch. He played three games and then we didn't see him for a week and a half. Um, you know, he played all five games in Pensacola and then he was off for, you know, the series finale. And then, you know, he's just been in and out of the lineup. And I I don't know. Um, that's not, you know, one, uh, I don't have access to the clubhouse like I normally would. Uh, and two, I also don't think they tell me if there was anything. <laughs> you know, it might not be anything. It might just be the look at his first full year in pro ball. And that's, you know. You go from in college, you play Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Like that's still a grind, but it is something completely different to play every single day, especially down here in the South. I mean, I know that it's hot everywhere, but you know it's hot and humid down here. You sweat a lot, um, and it's a tear. It's it's wear and tear on your body. So um, there have been flashes, but you know the reports out of Appleton for when. He came down here. I just I haven't seen that guy yet. You know, he's got, I think, one double and three home runs. Uh, One of those was an opposite field homer. The other two were absolute tanks that he hit here in a two day span. 
But other than that, you know, the power I, I the power is something that we just haven't seen a ton of here. Um, the speed has always been there, no doubt about that. He has gotten plenty of infield singles. He's hit routine bouncers that you know he's turned into base hits. Uh, a stat that I wish they'd keep track of for fast guys: forced errors. So reaching base on an error when you know your speed, you know, moved up the clock in a guy's head and forced an error that let you get on base. Um, he's had plenty of those, but I just have not seen the power yet. He's been good in the field. He's made some good diving catches. Um, but you know, I haven't seen the guy who, you know, won the high A central player of the week right before he got promoted here. That just hasn't been who we've seen in Biloxi. Um, I wish I could tell you, I know why, but it just hasn't been there yet. So I'm, I, I expect for it to click in at some point. It might not be this year, um, but, you know, people always say the toughest jump that you make in minor league baseball, arguably, is from high A to double A. Um, this is the most difficult jump that you make because guys who are good here are big leaders. That's, that's the reality of it. You go up to triple mm-hmm. A and you get the big league ball in your hand, but at triple A you're facing, you know, major league caliber talent as well. When you're good here, you're a big leaguer, and it is the, you know, it is a very difficult jump to make. But um, no, so far, I mean, the numbers reflected. It. it just hasn't, it hasn't been as easy of a go for him as it was at Wisconsin. Yeah, looking at the numbers, uh, 32 strikeouts in 31 games, so um, striking out quite a bit more. Um, getting on base the 31% of the time, so at least he's in the 300s. Um, with an average under 200. Um, is there anything that, you know, does he look like he's, you know, particularly striking out against the breaking ball or, you know, anything, any trend that you notice with, you know, that he may be struggling against? Or is it just kind of just that general jump in competition, maybe? From my amateurism look at the game, not from a pitching coach, hitting coach, whatever, but just from up here, the thing that I've seen is just fastballs at the top of the zone have mm-hmm. been what he's been struggling to get to. Um, don't get me wrong. There are lots of guys who struggle with fastballs at the top of the zone, but if there's one thing that it seems like he has been striking out on, not consistently, but more often than other times, it has been, um, that at the top of the zone that he's had a tough time either laying off or getting to. So, yeah, very kind of kind of tough jump there for Mitchell. I mean, very aggressive assignment. I mean, he's he's still just uh, 22 years old. I mean, just Bingo. drafted out of college last year. Um, and I mean, high A was you know fairly aggressive to start. He dominated there, so I was like, okay, let's let's be more aggressive. And after 28 games, they moved him up. So you and know, look, there there are guys who I mean, uh, Matt, you you might have his numbers right there in front of me for in front of you for his games. I mean, he's he's still under. 30 games here at double a, if I'm not mistaken, he's right in that range. Um, and so, you know, Hey, that's a bad first month for a guy, you know, that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's a slow start to a season for some guys um, to be here. I mean, yeah, 31 games that he's played yep. here at double a. So, Hey, there, there are plenty of guys who have a bad April, but then they have May, June, July and August to make up for it. And the jump and the adjustment is tough. And, you know, this is why you push guys up. You push them to a level to see how they can do and then how they adjust to it. And so we'll down the to see how it all works out. Um, and, and certainly I, I'm not saying that the, the tools aren't there, but we just haven't quite seen it to the degree that that people in Appleton did. 
Yeah, and let's not forget, too, you know, last season, um, Bryce Terang had dominated in, um, I believe it was low A with Wisconsin, and then struggled some um, at high A with Carolina back when they were flipped. Um, Makes the jump to double A after the last season and, you know, looks great. So hopefully it is just, you know, something that happens for this season and then changes a little bit next year. I'm sure it will be. Uh, all right, so uh, moving on to uh, a couple other guys I want to talk about here. Tristan Lutz, uh, former you know early pick uh, out of high school in 2017. You know he's someone that uh, has always had really kind of big power, um, and he's in he's in Double A here, uh, and the numbers haven't really kind of shown the the big jump that you know perhaps we were we were hoping for this year. What have you seen from Tristan Lutz uh, for the Shuckers this season? So out of the gate, Tristan was one of our better um, one of our better power and RBI threats. And then the strikeouts started coming a little bit for him. And then unfortunately, he had a hand injury. He got hit on the hand with a fastball at the end of June. And so he missed the entire month of July um, and the first half of August. Since he has come back. I have been incredibly impressed with his plate discipline and uh, with the with his feel for the zone, especially considering that in theory he didn't see live pitching for a month and a half. Um, and the way that he's come back, he's you know he's hit safely in eight straight games. He's reached base in ten straight, all nine since he came back, um, and. He's put together consistently 9, 10, 11 pitch at bats um, to where it seems like he's got a really good feel for it. Um, So I think that, you know, the injury is going to derail some of the stats for him there. But I also and again, I haven't had a chance to talk to him, but that time away might have given him an opportunity to to have a, a break from, okay, what what did I struggle with through the first part of the season and what can I do to adjust to it? But since he has come back. The play discipline that he's shown has been um, really remarkable to me. And you can you can pencil him in at this point, and I'm, I'm going to say this since it's going to bite me, you can almost pencil him in for a 10-pitch at-bat once a night at this point. He had one last night. He had one on Friday night against a guy who was throwing a perfect game against us back um, before the hurricane, and you know he got our first hit of the ball game. So, um, and it seems like he's not – Swinging for the fences on everything. He just has a lot of natural power. Um, so I've been I've been impressed since he has come back. Um, and I really, again, there's a lot of delineating things this year, and that's kind of where I viewed it for him. But the the swing and miss is certainly something that, um, you know, before the injury was a was a big concern. Um, and I'm curious for his stats for these last three weeks of the season, what they end up looking like. Um, another uh, guy that we've got on the Brewers prospect list uh, that you've gotten recently, he came up with uh, Garrett Mitchell, was David Hamilton. Um, average still a little low since the promotion, um, but I know one thing Brewers fans were a big fan of him was he is just a speedster among speedsters. Um, what have you seen out of him since the promotion? All right, so I'm going to put my qualifier out there out of the gate, okay? Uh, David went to the University of Texas, my alma mater, <laughs> so I'm going to inherently be biased, all right? 
I do everything I can to have some partiality and not be too too subjective about things, but I'm I'm a little biased because I love having a Longhorn on the team. Um, with that said, you know David came up here, hit safely in his first 12 games. Now for the first eight, it was he went like one for four, um, but then he also reached base safely in 18 straight games. I think going back to uh, high A, he's hit safely in like 31 of his last 37 games, might be 31 or 36, I think. But yeah, the speed is obviously the thing that just leaps off the page to you. And it is effortless. And that's what's amazing about it. But left-hander on the mound, he's on first after a walk. Breaks for second early. Lefty throws to first. First to second throw, he's in safe. Jeez. <laughs> That's the kind of speed that David Hamilton has. Balls to the gap are triples for him. It is it, it is remarkable. Now, he, had, he enjoyed a nice little power stretch when he first got here, and he racked up some extra base hits. He's had some loud outs, but guys have obviously adjusted a little bit to him. Uh, he's seeing a lot more breaking stuff, a lot more you know curveballs, sliders at the bottom of the zone. Um, and that kind of put him into a little rut, but he's now making the adjustment back to that as well. And look at, you know, you make it up to this level as well. Um, there's some pretty good catchers in this league. We had Brian Navarretto with Pensacola who had, you know, already played in the big leagues with, uh, with the Miami Marlins. You have Shea Langoliers who's thrown out 27 base stealers this year. He throws out like 44% of runners. He's one of the best catchers in, in minor league baseball. Did I mention we played the Mississippi Braves like 26 times? So you're trying to run against that, um, which they, you know, had a little bit of experience playing in the Big 12 together with Langoliers at Baylor and him at Texas. Um, but I, I've been impressed with him. Uh, you know, defense defensively, I don't think that he's the same level as Bryce. I think that Bryce was a little bit better of a fielder than he was. Um, but I think there's still a little bit more pop in the bat for uh for david a little bit more natural pop and i i would love the thing that i wanted to do that i never had the chance to i would love to line up david hamilton garrett mitchell and bryce terang and just put them in a foot race (laughs) i I think hamilton wins i think hamilton mm -hmm. probably wins as well but then it's a question of like okay what's the distance is it for second is it you know foul line to foul line what what, is it it a 60 yard dash like yeah 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 But, yeah. oh, oh, woe is me that I have such great speed to pick from. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when I saw uh, a game in uh, Wisconsin in high A. Hamilton was there. Uh, Mitchell was there. Th- this was in early June. Uh, Garrett Mitchell hit his first pro home run that w- that day uh, to the batter's eye in center, center field. And David Hamilton stole six bases that day. I remember that six game. Six bases. Yeah. Like... What? Who steals six bases in a game? He had 41 down there. How, Matt, how many stolen bases does David Hamilton have in double A? He, uh, or, or Garrett, do you know offhand? He's got he's, six. Yep. Six? Six, for nine. six? six to nine attempts, and he was safe on one of them and was called out. It's, se- wow. it's seven It's seven and nine, but you know you can't you can't yeah. give an error to the umpire. So. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I guess Angel like Hernandez to. was on rehab assignment. Uh, <laughs> no comment. 
but no, uh, it's and 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 it's another thing where teams have adjusted to him, and that's the big thing here is that you know guy teams make adjustments to you, and so how you then turn things back in your favor matters. But the jumps that he gets, the speed that he has, there are some there are some stolen bases that have been very easy for him already here at this level. And I will point out he's sixth in the minors in stolen bases. Jace Eastley is the leader. He's got like 67. This isn't to take anything away from Eastley and the Rangers organization. Um, but remember in low A this year, they have the rule that you can't pick off more than twice to a guy. And mm-hmm. so that's why it's been like a track meet at low A this year. So just take yeah. that with a grain of salt. Yeah, for sure. Um, so another guy who's kind of um, local around there, who's a midseason promotion, Thomas Dillard, was an Ole Miss guy, uh, not a Mississippi State dude, who the Brewers have had a bunch of in recent years. Uh, but you got Thomas Dillard now up there. And I think I saw something on Twitter the other day where it's like you can win tickets to like the Egg Bowl and you can like win either a Thomas Dillard or an Ethan Small autographed baseball, which I think is is super awesome as a promotion, by the way. And I'm not even a Mississippi guy, um, but <laughs> Uh, Thomas Dillard, um, has he also kind of increased attendance a little bit? Is there a lot of Ole Miss fans around there, or is it more Mississippi State fans? Um, and how has he been doing? There's a there's a relatively even distribution, and I think that because we'd had Small this year, we had Dan Brown in 2019, we obviously had Woody come through. Um, I think that the Ole Miss faithful around here were saying, all right, when do we get you know one of our guys to come through this neck of the woods. And of course he's a, he's a Mississippi native and he lives in Oxford. Now he's from Greenwood in the Delta. Um, but certainly I, we had one of our, uh, Chuck nation members, who's a season ticket holder who Diller got promoted to us when we went on a 12 game road trip. And our first stop was up in Pearl, which is just outside of Jackson, which is about three hours from here and is still in Mississippi. And she, I saw her, she's like, I'm not even waiting. I'm coming up to Jackson tonight. And I was like, he's not in the starting lineup tonight. He's just coming down from Appleton. So I hope you have a hotel room for tomorrow night's game. Um, So there's definitely been a buzz about him. Um, He's another guy who I think the adjustment has, uh, has been a little, you know, has been a little tough for him here. He did have a double in last night's game. Uh, but, you know, 13 games in, this is a guy who had over 60 RBIs at high A, and he's got, you know, one run driven in so far at double A. But again, it's an aggressive assignment for him to come up here to double A. And so guys get a chance to adjust. I am curious to see if they'll keep him as a switch hitter or not. Without looking at the numbers, it seems like he hits better from the right side than the left side. Um, though we did yank a double to right field from the left side yesterday, so what do I know? Um uh, so, but but it's another example of a guy who I think that the adjustment to this level is is certainly something, and um, I'm looking forward to when he he pieces it all together. He's been great defensively over at first base. He's caught a little bit, but primarily he's been a DH or a first baseman. Looks very smooth, is even for his size. He's athletic, um, and so you know I know first base is still kind of a question mark at the big league level. Mm-hmm. Might not be a bad option, you know. The Rowdy Telez, Dan Vogelback, Thomas Dillard, the Brewers seem like they might have a type. Uh, for their- <laughs> uh, that they do. That they do. Um, but yeah, really good to see there um, for Dillard. Um, and, you know, hopefully he can 
uh, keep it going. Maybe they can keep them around a little bit, though, um, to get some get some Mississippi, you know, fans around there. They took away Ethan Small so quickly. Maybe you can get, you know, at least some length out of this. Yeah, well, I mean, ideally, and I imagine that he'll be like he'll he'll start the year back with us next season because he's going to end up playing like less than 30 games at Double A. Um, and so then you're looking at maybe having him and then Joe Gray Jr. Probably starts Mississippi the year native, with us yeah. As well, Mississippi to Hattiesburg, hour up the road, and he was committed to go to USM. And so we'd round mm. out the the trio of Mississippi schools by having Joe Gray Jr. here um, next season. I don't think there's there's no reason to push him to to double A this year, uh, right? Like, yeah. Uh, which which I'm gonna ask you guys a question because I right. I posed this last night when we were trailing fifteen to eight in the eighth inning. Um, <laughs> Who wins minor league player of the year? Who's the Robin Yount winner this year? Because I know that I was I was talking to a guy in our front office, and he's a big Joey Weimer fan. I mean, who isn't? But he's like, I feel like it's got to be Weimer. But I'm like, Joe Gray Jr. is like top in the minor leagues in RBI. You look up and down the lead. It's between Weimer, Joe Gray Jr., and then um, Valeria. I think it's one of yeah. those three guys. So I'm going to ask you guys, who who's your pick? At this point. I I think for me I think it's going to be Joe Gray simply because yeah. uh, he started dominating earlier um, like he's been dominating pretty much all season Weimer it took a little while for him to get going um, I mean obviously his stretch has been ridiculous but um, you know Joe Gray he's all Joe Gray's had a 2020 season 20 homers yeah. 20 plus homers 20 stolen bases now I don't think Weimer's got that many stolen bases um, yeah he does he's got 26. He's got 26. He's got 26 oh, okay, stolen so he, bases. Okay, well, he also spent a lot of that year in low in low A where it's a track meet. There you uh, go. As, as he said, yeah. so so that's part of it. Ernesto Martinez has 27 stolen bases and like, and he's six six two thirty, and he like gallops like <laughs> like seeing him run. It is it is so fun to watch. Um, but yeah, I, I I personally think it's got to be Joe Gray Jr. I, I think he's been dominating all season, um, and he's and he's got kind of the bigger um, numbers there. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's a reason he shot that far up the Brewers top thirty on MLB Pipeline. He has just been wire to wire. It's actually crazy that um, Felix Valerio has been piling up stats as heavily as he has been that he can be in the same conversation as Weimer for, you know, possibly taking over. Cause you would, you would almost think that like Joe Gray, Joey Weimer, like Joey Weimer is making this big push and it should be between those two, but do not forget about Valerio. That guy is just hits on hits on hits on hits. And of course, stealing his own level of bases. Um, what he's done to now be the guy in the Keon Broxton trade um, has been super impressive. I don't know. Omar Narvaez has, is kind of also the guy, you know, after we traded Adam Hill for him, but yeah, that, that's, yeah. True. that's true. The, 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 the trade prospect trade. guy. Yeah. I'll, I'll say this. It's kind of like, uh, when Mike Trout and uh, Miguel Cabrera were up for the MVP a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people thought Trout probably should have won the MVP, but you know, Cabrera won the triple crown for the first time in 40 years. Joe Gray Jr. is second in minor league baseball in RBIs as we sit today. He's got 89 for the season. 95 is the leader. And so I feel like it's kind of hard to not give it to that guy. And not give, yeah. but not not have the award go to that guy. 
Right. Uh, but hey, good problem to have, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. You'd rather have more candidates to choose from than uh, not enough. Um, two final guys I want to talk about here. Uh, who aren't necessarily big prospects, but have been having uh, pretty solid seasons. Mitch Longo and Alexander Palma. Uh, these are two guys that you know, aren't on any top 30s, but if you look at their numbers, um, they've been they've been hitting the ball pretty well. Mitch Longo, you say hits on hits on hits. That's Mitch Longo. And honestly, I think that Mitch is a triple-A player at double-A. Um, he had a short spell that he was uh, here, that he went up to Nashville that was in that weird uh, – they had a guy retire, and someone got injured at the big league level. I think Lil Kane was on the IL, and so they moved him up for uh, a little bit. So that's that was why he got to go up to AAA. And, and when he came back down, that was another – it was right there in mid-July, so I was – you know had an opportunity to be at batting practice. And like he said, he said it was a good experience to, to get up there to, to AAA and – face off against some of those guys, but he'd rather be playing every day at double a than be the fourth or fifth outfielder at triple a. But if you look back for Mitch, when he was with the Cleveland organization, he was great. When he was in Lynchburg, you take a look back to his time when he was at Ohio, um, at Ohio university he hit you know, three forty something like that. Um, you know, he had his, he had a three hit game, three at bats into our contest last night. He had a home run. He's our team leader in stolen bases this year. Um, he could end up being a sneaky good free agent signing. And it's amazing that for a guy who swings so hard every <laughs> single time and, and has lost his bat on multiple occasions, including last night, um, that his strikeout numbers aren't higher than they are. He is very somehow with a violent swing. He's got very good zone control. Um, so I think I, I think he's a sneaky good a, a sneaky pick for the Brewers um, as a as a possible viable outfield option. Um, Alexander Palma is another guy who you take a look at him. He looks like a power hitting DH. Um, look at his strikeout numbers. They're just not. He's another guy who's got very good zone discipline. And the biggest thing for him is health. Um, if everything tracks out, he's going to end up, you know, playing in either a career high or close to a career high in games. It's going to be the most games he's played in since 2015, if I'm thinking of off the top of my head. And you have to take into consideration that he wasn't with Biloxi for the better part of almost a month this season because he had two different spells where he went and played for the Venezuelan national team. Um, But, you know, Eduardo uh, Brizuela, who's there in the front office, it's really a credit to him. Um, that's part of why we have kind of this Venezuelan presence in our team. They had a really good rapport with, uh, with Palma and, and, um, you know, if the DH comes to the national league, like don't look now, but you know, he's a, he's certainly an option to be there and he's got really good arm strength, um, in the outfield as well. Maybe not the quickest guy in the world, but, uh, but not, not a liability in the outfield by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, two guys that really are are kind of, you know, opening some eyes there with, with how they're doing it. And you want to talk about, you know, violent swings there like you did with Mitch Longo. Just wait until you get Joey Weimer. That is the <laughs> most violent max effort swing I've ever seen. I was the other day I was in I was behind home plate um, at the Timber Rattlers game sitting like third or something row. And and Weimer's in the on deck circle. He takes a practice hack and I felt it. Like I felt the wind, I felt the air move. Like I could, I could hear the, whoo, 
like from the swing. Like he swings max effort every single time on deck circle in the batter's box. It doesn't matter. That's a max effort swing, and I cannot wait for you to get him probably next year. We'll see. We'll see. Now, there are a couple of guys like that. I am certainly looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Um, are there any other players that we haven't talked about that you think uh, we need to address or Brewers fans uh, should be aware of? David Fry. Hmm. David a Fry. Catcher. Third baseman catcher. Third baseman now? Third, oh, he played, yeah, he played third, he played some second, but he he was kind of our primary third baseman for a hot stretch there. Um, he could be an answer at third base for the Brewers. He's athletic. He says he's not athletic. He is. Um, <laughs> he makes every play that you need over at third base, and because he has great arm strength as a catcher, throw across the diamond is not a problem for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got great arm strength as a catcher. He threw out like seven straight base runners. I think he allowed three steals and 10 total attempts in the month of August um, when he was catching behind the plate. Um, he had a really good July, cooled off a little bit in August, but um, just another guy who, uh, you know, the Brewers spent a sixth round pick on him. That's not a that's not a light consideration for a guy out of you know northwestern state which if either one of you can tell me where northwestern state is i'll venmo you a dollar right now hold on a second let me pull up the google um no or, uh, if, or if you pennsylvania oh okay pennsylvania i thought it was louisiana for some reason it is know. louisiana hey if, if anyone but if you can tell me the town i'll be really impressed oh gosh uh <laughs> I, I have I do have limited knowledge of Louisiana based because of my wife, um, but I have no idea. Uh, oh, I don't know. I that, found it. That's not a bad guess. That's where uh, South Southwestern is or Southeastern oh. University is is in Slidell. No, it's. Can you say it, David? That's the real question. I'm I'm, I'm gonna try. Okay. Natchitoches. Oh, oh. No, I, no, I know. Oh shoot, my wife will kill me. Uh, <laughs> Nope, I can't remember that one. I should know how to pronounce it. All right, so here's the deal. So the way you say that is Nakedish. Yes. There you go. What? I got it. So it's what is Nakedish. Yep. Oh, Na- there's some, but there's then some there's, cities down there that yeah, but you don't even... Yeah. Then there's Nacogdoches in Texas, just mm-hmm. on the other side of the Piney Belt there. So there's Nacogdoches and Nacogdoches, but yeah. All of that to say, David Fry, I think that – I think he – I've said it the whole year. I think he's going to be a big leaguer. I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know if it's catching. I don't know if it's a third. I don't know if it's a second. Um, but I think he's a big league guy. He's got a really good approach at the plate. He hits the ball to all fields. He's got good power. He had 11 home runs and 15 doubles at the time he got promoted. And he wasn't even an everyday player for us at the start of the season. Um, you know, out of 100 games, he appeared in 75 of them for us this year. So um, once he started getting everyday reps, he really he really shined. And so that's, you know, I, I just want to point out that I got asked on one of these podcasts who who I thought was a guy who stood out. My answer was Dylan Moore. And Dylan Moore is an everyday player for the mm-hmm. Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. So David, David Fry is my pick for this year. All and right. Not prospect pick for you right there. Yeah, and he just got promoted to AAA, uh, saw that, so um, that's really, really kind of exciting for him, and especially with the third base position kind of in flux in Milwaukee, you know, that could be, uh, there might be a chance to to, to push himself in there. Guy who hits for power, athletic, 
can play third, also can duck behind the dish if you need him to, can also play second and left. Just saying. Brewers love versatility. There's a they spot. love versatility. There's a spot on a big league roster for that kind of guy. Absolutely. Uh, there is. Uh, Garrett Green, thank you so much, man, for, for hopping on uh, this week and, and talking to us about, about some Biloxi shuckers and uh, getting us really excited about this uh, farm system. You got it, guys. Thanks, as always, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime, man. We'll uh, we'll catch up with you uh, another time for sure. Uh, have a you know good rest of the season. Good luck the rest of the way, uh, and hopefully we can get uh, Garrett Mitchell and uh, all those guys kind of kind of going uh, to where they need to be. So uh, that'll do it for us uh, this week. Um, we'll be uh, continuing once again next week uh, with another episode of the Cold Brew Podcast. Uh, so thanks again to Garrett Green. Uh, for joining us. Thanks again for one whole year uh, of support here on the Cold Brew Podcast. Uh, We'll see you next time for another episode.